scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Jesus speaking, and he says, If your brother sins, go ahead and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Have you ever messed something up by not getting the right tool for the job? Have you ever, uh, you know, you're kind of, I've done this one. I'm too lazy to go get the actual hammer, so this crescent wrench will do fine, I'm sure, just this one time. Or I should get a screwdriver to put that back in, but this hammer will do just fine. There's a, uh, there's a good chance when we use tools for purposes they were not intended to be used, that we will mess something up, that we'll get ourselves in trouble. Here's a guy who uh, didn't have, doesn't want to buy hedge clippers. So, I mean, I don't know what could possibly go wrong there, really. Please stand by. All right, we'll go from there. So what I was saying a minute ago, uh, if we use tools for purposes they weren't intended to be used for, we can, we can mess stuff up. We can get ourselves in trouble. We can even get hurt. This passage we're going to study today, it's like a tool that Jesus gave us to be used for a very specific purpose. It's a powerful tool. It's a wonderful tool. But very, very often, all too often, it's ignored by Christians. We don't pick this tool up when we should. There's very few tools that are good for what this passage is good for. And we ignore this one when we shouldn't. And another mistake we make is sometimes we pick this tool up and we try to use it for something it was never intended to be used for. One reason this passage gets misused, I think, is because we take it out of its context, we, rem- we, we remove it from the context in which it was given, which is very important. We've been studying Matthew chapter 18, which began when the disciples came and asked Jesus this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus started, before he answered that question, he reminded his disciples, listen guys, uh, nobody even gets into the kingdom of heaven until they realize they don't have any greatness that would get them in. 
God's sort of greatness and human greatness are not the same thing. And he grabbed a little kid and he brought a child in and said, to get into the kingdom, you have to be like one of these. You have to be childlike, which is Jesus' way of saying you have to understand you are just as dependent and helpless for your survival into the next kingdom, into the next world, as a little child is helpless and dependent on their survival in this world. I have to understand, I don't have any greatness that would get me into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus never says there's no such thing as greatness in the kingdom. In fact, what chapter 18 is, one way to think of it is Jesus goes through a list of things, a list of skills, a list of fundamentals. These, this is what greatness looks like for the Christian in the kingdom. And we've been studying these for several weeks. First, Jesus said, you want to be great at this. You guys want to be good at this? Whoever welcomes other helpless folks, people who embrace their childlikeness, whoever welcomes other disciples welcomes me. That's his way of saying, you should be doing life with other Christians. That's who we welcome. That's who we're hospitable with, mainly. Second, you want to be great at this? Don't be the cause of another Christian's stumble. Don't be the tempter. Don't be the one who uh, sort of makes it more likely that other people sin. Third, he said, figure out, you want to be good at this following me thing? Figure out what makes your stumbling, your wandering, your messing up more likely and remove those things. Amputate that stuff from your life, even if it takes drastic measures and changes to do that. And then last week, Jesus said this, number four on the screen. He said, so I've told you what to do about you. Do life with other Christians. Don't cause others to stumble, others to stumble and remove those stumbling blocks from your life. But then... When you, oh Christian, when you notice someone else who knows me, who's a Christian, who follows me, when you see they have messed up in one of these somehow and they've stumbled, you don't look down upon another Christian who has stumbled. Don't disdain somebody who has wandered, who has stumbled. Instead, go help them. Go after them. Treat them as valuable, not as an excuse to make yourself feel better or superior. And he, he did that by teaching us a very famous parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And that's where we've been left. My question is, though, how do you do that? How do you go after a wandering sheep, a stumbling Christian? That's today's passage. That's what uh, this is a tool of. It, it's a tool for restoring a sheep to the flock and a brother to myself or a sister to myself. That's what this tool is for. Very often, this is called a, the church discipline passage. But this is what Christians are supposed to do with Christians. And as we teach through most of the time I'm going to spend on the, what I think is four steps 
for restoring relationships. Four steps to use this tool. And I want to point out as we go through main ways that this passage, this tool gets misused. And I think this is the major one. Very often, someone picks up this passage because they're done with somebody. And they have an eye towards separation. They want somebody punished. They want somebody blackballed. They want to be done with this person. But I want to do it in a way where I can say, hey, I did Matthew 18. We're going to see as we go through this. This passage, this tool is much more a welder than a cutting torch. Feel me there? It is way more tape than it is scissors. This passage is, is, a, is the tool we use when we see that valuable sheep of Jesus who has wandered for whatever reason and whom he encouraged us last week to go after. Here's how we do it, to restore one of us to the flock. I, I, I mentioned this last week. When it is me, I want you to come after me in a way that makes it more likely that I come back where I ought to be. There's a way to point out the wrongs of others that's more about me feeling better about me. And there are ways to point out the wrongs of others that actually lead to their repentance and help them know that you care about them. This is the how-to in the, the lost sheep parable. And we can't separate the two. Now, don't get me wrong. At the end of this, at the end of this tool, this passage, or the end of the steps, Jesus is going to grant what he already granted in the lost sheep parable. Not all sheep want to get found. Not all will return. And there will be instances where you can do this perfectly, and there will have to be a break in the relationship. And we'll talk about that, but it's never the goal. It's not the purpose of the tool. Here's how we see that. The first step, so what do you do? You've noticed someone you care about, like, ain't where she's supposed to be, isn't where he's supposed to be, has wandered, has stumbled, has whatever, damaging himself, damaging his family, uh, damaging her relationships, has hurt you. What do we do? Step one, Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, if your brother, and these are not necessarily, there, there wasn't a word in Koine Greek for sibling, so he's used the max, masculine, but this is brother or sister. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. And If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. I want to start by looking at the end of this verse. Not because it's what we should do first, but because again, I want you to see the only allowable goal of this tool. When I start this process, when I pick up this tool, here is, you have regained your brother. That is the goal. If I pick up this tool with an eye towards separating from my brother in a way that I can still say I'm the good guy because I separated correctly, I'm using the tool for the wrong thing. I'm using the crescent wrench as a hammer. 
maybe not even that close. I'm using the crescent wrench to stir the cookie batter. The goal of this, the only allowable goal is to regain a brother. And that tells us something else. It tells us when this will normally be used, this tool. Because if the, if the risk here is that I, or if the goal is to regain a brother, the risk has to be that I what? That I lose a brother or sister. That's when this, I don't go to Matthew 18 every time somebody does something wrong or dumb. Okay? I do not need your tearful repentance every time you sin. <laughs> okay? But if there's a risk like that you and I, man, if this continues, if we continue like this, we're, we can't be cool anymore. We can't be brothers anymore. I need to do this early. Because I don't want to lose a brother or sister. I want to see you as a valuable lamb of you know, the flock of God. This is, by the way, that's why a lot of our translations say, if your brother sins against you, because that's usually when this wedge will start to grow. It doesn't have to be, though. We can use this anytime. So here's what we do. Step one, I say on the screen, is we reprove privately. Here's why I use the word reprove. There's a Greek word in here that gets translated in this version, go and show him his fault. That comes from a Greek word that used to get translated. The old school translation is to reprove. You ever hear, those of you who have grown up in church know the word reproof or reprove. Um, that's what Jesus says. It's the command, the imperative form of that. Go and reprove your brother. What's a reproof? This is just from the Merriam-Webster's dictionary. This is what a reproof is. This is what Jesus says we're to do. What does it mean to reprove someone? To reprove is to correct someone gently with a kindly intent. To correct someone gently with a kindly intent. And Jesus says, I'm supposed to do that when the two of us are alone. When no one else knows about the situation. I go to them and I tell them what I've seen kindly with a heart aimed at helping that person. And Jesus says, if he listens to you, if he responds correctly, you have regained your brother. And then we go back into last week's passage. We move immediately to celebration. Because I want them restored to me and to their walk with the Lord. If they listen, oh, you are right, and they have, they have broken hearted about it. The pun there's no punishment phase in this. It's a gentle reproof followed by celebration at the end. That's the goal. That's the goal. If we did more of this, if we did more of this, how much healthier would our relationships be? Would our church be? Would our marriages be? If we went privately to the people who hurt us before we talked to anybody else about it and we went to them with a heart that let them know that this, that this person has, they have my best interests at heart. 
They want the best for me. They're here because they love me and they're after my joy. A lot of these processes would stop right here. What's normal, what's natural, what's usual is that when somebody hurts me, let's see, who can I pick on? Who wants to have the problem with Pastor Matt? Stu, how about you? You sat too close to the front this week, didn't you, Stu? Old Dennis suckered you in, got you right up here front. All right, let's say Stuart and me have, have the problem. Stuart's done something that has hurt me. What's normal, what's natural, is not for me to go first to Stu with his best interests in mind. You know what's normal and natural? I'm hurt. Um, so what I do is I go tell Dennis and Jason and John and Ike about what Stu did. Why do I do that? Because it's going to help Stu? No. You know why I do that? Because Stuart's hurt me. He might have rejected me. He might have belittled me. He might have ignored me. He might have cheated me, whatever it is. And, and I have pain, and I want that to feel better. And so if I can convince these other people, if I can go tell these people what a jerk steward has been, convince them I am right, they will give me some kind of affirmation that feels the opposite of the, of the pain Stuart caused. They'll affirm me. They'll give me the opposite of the pain he caused. And I am not, I am not lying to you here. That feels good. Think about this. Do you have relationships where you talk with people about the same people over and over about the same things together? You know why? Because the affirmation you get feels better than the pain that person caused. But you know what else? It makes restoration more and more difficult. I think proportionally equal to the number of people I tell. Here's why. So I've told these guys about my problem with Stu, and I've probably, if I'm honest, exaggerated it a little bit because I really want them to, to affirm me, and be against him and for me. And then here's why it's going to make it harder for me and Stu to fully reconcile because I'm getting what I want from my heart from, from the lack of that, rec of that reconciliation. I get affirmation if Stuart and me stay apart. And if suddenly I do the right thing and I go to Stuart and we patch up our relationship and we're brothers again, what does that make me look like to these other guys? I've made them dislike Stu and now I'm friends with Stu. My heart might be like, I don't want to be friends with Stu because I've made these people that I like dislike Stu. Or... It makes me look wishy-washy. Makes me look like they can't believe me. He's, he's hanging out with Stuart. He just, spent, he just spent two months telling me what a monster Stuart is. Now you're friends? Right? So when I use this tool incorrectly, it makes reconciliation less likely, and that's the only or this isn't using it incorrectly. This is not using it at all. This is why first thing I do, 
Jesus said, if you really want to go after lost sheep, when they hurt you, you go to them in private. That's step one. But there are times, there are times Jesus allows when even if I do this correctly, it, it won't go well. It won't go well. So then step two. Step two is ask for help. Jesus' goal of restoration is not realized, no matter, even though I've done this correctly, I've gone right to the person privately, I've told them what I've seen, and they, they don't listen. If he does not listen, verse 16, Jesus says, take one or two others with you, so that at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. So I've gone to Stu. I've gone to Stu, and it didn't work. He didn't listen. Now, before I have told whoever, Dennis and Jason and John and I, before I've told those guys, if Stuart and I both respect those guys, while they are still neutral parties, I ask one or two of them to come with me. Hey, will you come? I'm having a problem with, with Stuart. Will you come and sit with me, with us, and talk about this? And notice, now that's not normal either. I'm jumping ahead, but here's the common misuse of this. What I want is to find a couple of guys, and I'll tell them 100% of my side of this story, so that when I go set, when we go sit down, I, am, I know how these other two men that I take with me, or, or people that I take with me, will say what I want them to say. And notice what Jesus says is the purpose of taking these one or two people with us. If he does not listen, listen take one or two others with you. Why? So that... At the testimony of two or three witness, witnesses, every matter may be established. I know he's quoting from the Old Testament there, but, but this is so that every matter can be established. And here's what I have to remember. If I go to another Christian and, and, and I present my problem and they do not listen, this, this may shock you to pieces but I might be wrong also. There's a chance. Right? If I go talk to somebody who's been my, my brother, my sister, and they won't listen, I could be part of the problem. So I take, I would suggest taking two people that don't know everything, and they shouldn't. And we're going to sit down, and we're going to see if we can get to every matter. Because the goal in this is the restoration of a relationship. And relationships are dirty and they're complicated. They're not simple. One misuse of this is I want a gang of three to go in. And no, 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 we're not talking about us. We're talking about you. We're talking about this. I, I, if I'm really concerned about the rule, I'm not there to win an argument or a ruling. I'm there to win a brother. Isn't that what Jesus said? You have won your brother. You've won your sister. If that's the goal, and I want to get to the, get to the, the bottom of, of every matter. Again, in a way that the person understands because I love them. 
I want to win them more than I want to win the argument. Step three, Jesus says, even that won't help. Even that won't work all the time. So step three, Jesus says to take it to the church. So if he refuses to listen to that group of two or three, Jesus says take it to the church. There are times when this process, this tool implemented correctly, the stumbling uh, brother, the wandering sheep, will not listen. And take a look at the symptom here. I think this is important. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. There's a difference between disagreeing and refusing to listen. There just is. So I've confronted in love with the hope of restoration. They didn't listen. I took two people with me that they respect and I respect. They refused to listen. And then there is some sort of making this more public that is the next step. Tell it to the church. Now, Again, refusing to listen and disagreeing, I think, are different things. Here's another very common misuse of this real-life example. I won't tell you the church, but it's not, it's not right around here. Matthew 18 was started because of a disagreement between a church leader and uh, someone in the church. And they got to this point, and there was a disagreement but by the time we got to the part of taking two or three, it was pastor and two elders. And here the process became, you are going to say what we want you to say or we're going to tell the whole church what a jerk you are. It's not, it's not the purpose of this. And the other person was like, well, listen, this is, guys, this is, there's more to it than this. This is not, you know, and I don't want to, not, and I own my part in this, but no, 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 we're not talking about us. You got to confess and repent, or we're going to tell the whole church what you've done wrong. Um, that's not a refusal to listen. Here's a refusal to listen. Another example from a different church that I won't tell you about. Single mom, four kids. That's tough. Single mom, four kids began dating a gentleman who, long story, but I'm just going to say this very gen- generally was not a good candidate for marriage, okay? Just was not. Not a Christian, didn't pretend to be. But single mom decided, I'm going to move in, or he was going to move in, I forget. My four kids, I'm going to live with this guy I'm not married to. Um, And she had a friend who loved her enough to start this, to go to her and say, please don't do this. I love you. I'm after your joy here. And there's not joy down this road. You're headed to. Wouldn't listen. Went back to her Bible study group and found a couple of other people who said, please come with me. And they sat and in tears, please don't do this. This isn't good for you. 
The Lord knows what is best. He invented life. He knows how this works. Please don't do that. Here was the refusal to listen. You, you three are all happily married. You don't know how lonely I am. You don't know what it's like to raise four kids on your own. So don't tell me about all this. And I know he ain't perfect and you're not perfect, but we're doing this and you can't tell me anything. That's a refusal to listen. And they got right here like, what? Now, now what do we do? This, and this was done so well that in this case, there was still no desire for people to know. They're like, oh, Jesus said, well, Jesus said we're supposed to tell other people about this. And, and by the way, in, somewhere in this step, this gal in tears came to her friends and said, I know you guys are right, and I know you love me and want my best. And I'm going to believe you and believe the Lord, and I'm not doing this. And that relationship ended to the glory of God and the benefit of her and her children, I believe. Okay, that's a refusal to listen. And in that case, Jesus says we're supposed to tell it to the church. And guess what he doesn't tell us? How to do that or what that looks like. I don't know what tell it to the church means, honestly. Certainly, I think it can be different in different scenarios. Here's what I don't think it means. I don't think it means that I, would, I or someone like me would stand up in the front of the church and tell everybody here what Stuart did to start this thing between us. You know why? Because hopefully on Sunday mornings, we have people that aren't part of the church. This would be telling it to much more than the church. If you're visiting here this morning, I love you but you're not right now part of the church and I shouldn't tell you whatever this is. Does that make sense? Sometimes I hope we have people that aren't even Christians here every Sunday that aren't believers and I love them and I want them here, but I shouldn't be telling you our business, our family business, right? So I, I don't know what it looks like and I'm going to it can be different in different situations, but we can have some confidence that we will get to the right idea of what that means in a given situation. Hang on to that. Step four. A lot of times this is presented as just three steps, but uh, this thing's working well today. Anybody notice that? Yeah. But I think it's a fourth step. If he refuses to listen even to the church, you treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, finally, we've gotten to the point where we can finally punish somebody and make ourselves feel better. Because we all know that Jesus wants us to treat Gentiles and tax collectors by being very mean, by not greeting them on the street, by giving them the stink eye. Isn't that how Jesus wants us to treat Gentiles and tax collectors? No. Who wrote this book again? Matthew. What did he do for a living? Oh, yeah, he was a tax collector. How'd Jesus treat him? Pretty good. In fact, Matthew has already told us that if, if we only love people who love us back, that's what makes us more like a Gentile and a tax collector. In chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, first sermon Jesus ever preached in the book of Matthew, he said this, but I say to you, love your enemy. 
Pray for those who persecute you. So in this process, when we get right here, we're just going to treat them like a tax collector and a Gentile. Are we supposed to love them? Are we supposed to pray for them? Yes. Jesus said, for if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even tax collectors do that. If you only greet your brothers, even the Gentiles do that. So at least... Whatever this means, I know it does not mean that I don't love them, I don't pray for them, I don't greet them. So what's it mean to treat, so get to this point, I've done this whole process, I've gone in private to my brother, I've tried in a loving way to to restore this relationship and them to their walk with the Lord. They didn't listen, I took two people we both respect, didn't listen, somehow whatever it looked like we told it to the church. Didn't listen. Now I treat him like a Gentile and a tax collector. What's that mean? Again, I'm not positive, and I think there can be different consequences in different situations. I don't think, we're just not told. One of my seminary professors said, well, how does your church normally treat unbelievers? So there could, there's a change. Right? We don't have unbelievers having positions in the church, teaching Sunday school. There might be some family business we don't do together. This is why some churches get here and say, well, unbelievers shouldn't take communion. There's one thing we should say. We're going to ask, we're going to ask uh, people right now, I don't think it's appropriate for you to take communion. In a, in a given situation, could that be appropriate? I think it could. I think it could be different in different situations, and we're not told what it is. But again, If we do this correctly, I think we can know what to do. And here's why. I know I'm going a little bit long, but I was quick to start the service to save time here. Um, So there is that relationship change. Treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. Um, There we go. I... Definitely wanted to keep these three verses with this sermon. I'm going to be quick through them. We're not going to teach through them verse by verse. But these three verses, what gives us the confidence to use this difficult process? Has Jesus just told us to, to do something that's easy or hard? Is it easy to go tell somebody what they've, what they've been doing that you think is wrong, or is that hard? That's hard. This is a difficult process. And he didn't even tell us exactly what to do if we get to the end of this thing and it hasn't worked. I'm not sure how to tell the whole church. I'm not sure what it means to treat him or her like a Gentile or a tax collector. But we can be confident we will find his heart in this process. Because Jesus tells his disciples this beginning in verse 18. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Again, I tell you the truth. If two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. By the way, these get taken out of context as bad as any verses in the Bible. Here's what Jesus just said. I know, guys, I told you to do something hard. But if you do this correctly... I'll make sure you will come to the decision I want. If your heart, if your heart is about restoration 
of this relationship and you want what's best for your brother or sister, you get into this for the right reason, you prayerfully do this, you guys, two or three, then verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, it's about this process. If you all do this the right way for the right reasons, I'm going to make you this promise right now. I will make sure you come to the right conclusion. That's a great promise. Jesus said, I know I haven't told you what to do in every single situation, but here's what I'm going to promise you. I'll be there with you during the, doing this difficult job. If you pick up this tool with the right heart, the right purpose in mind, and use only as directed, I'll be there with you. So when there's someone in your life, especially if they are a believer, who has stumbled, who seems stuck there, who has put such a strain on your relationship, you don't know if you're going to be able to continue. This is the process Jesus prescribes. And it is hard. And it makes you very nervous. But... Do you want to come to the same conclusion that Jesus would come to? Then then this is what we do. And this is how we do it. We go privately to our friend, gently loving them, lovingly, kindly, tell them what what I see that maybe you don't see and that what kind of breaks my heart about where you're at or where we're at. And if that doesn't work, I take one or two other people to establish everything. And if that doesn't work, I take those two, um, one or two witnesses, and that's when I go to the pastor and the elders and say, listen, here's what we see, and we all are in agreement on this. Can you help us understand what we do next? And Jesus says, you do that correctly. I will walk through that with you. I'll help you come to the decision I've already come to. If you come to the heartbreaking decision as a church that there has to be some kind of uncomfortable consequences, I will have already come to that decision. And if you come to the, to the, to the understanding together that, man, this is more of a disagreement than it is a refusal to listen, Jesus says, I will have come to that uh, conclusion also. This is tough work. And, but remember, it's part of the answer to this question. Who is great in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, people who do this well do, are, are great in my eyes. They may not have the most money, the most talent, the most beauty, the most hair but they're pursuing kingdom kind of greatness when they do this with the right heart for the right reasons. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for even the difficult passages of Scripture, the ones that are hard to implement. God, forgive me, forgive us for when we have sort of chickened out from picking up this tool. Forgive me, Lord, when we have misused your word and used this tool that you gave us for something other than its intended purpose. 
And God, thank you for the confidence that comes with knowing if we do this tool, we use it as directed with the right heart toward the right goal that you will walk through this with us where two or three of us are gathered in this together in your name. You will be with us in a special way. You're with us all the time, but this is just a reminder that you will walk with us through the difficult work of going after that lost sheep, that stumbling Christian that we do not look down upon, but we we understand is valuable. And we want to love them back into a right relationship with us, back into the walk with, with you that they need, that, that where, their, where their joy is really found. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.